Today's podcast is sponsored by Bradford White Water Heaters. Plumbing pros, when it's time to choose a water heater to install for your next job, whether it's residential or commercial, go with a product that is built to be the best. Go with Bradford White Water Heater. How you heat your water matters. Choose Bradford White. Welcome back to the Not Dead Yet podcast. I'm John Masonbrink, your host. I'm here with Tim Ward. Tim, how you doing today? JP, what's going on? You getting ready and packed for Italy? Yeah, there's a lot of lot of hoops to be jumped through to get uh, to get overseas and out of the country and into a new country with COVID and testing. And uh, well, by the time this podcast goes live, you will be on a flight headed that way. Yep. You excited? Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm a little anxious. You know, we haven't left the kids this long. My wife and I are going, so the kids will be home uh, alone. We just put some food aside and some water and they should be good for the week. <laughs> well, yeah. as I told you in a text, uh, Uncle Tim and Aunt Cynthia can shoot up two and a half hours north if we have to. Yeah. Hopefully we won't have to, but yeah. Well, I think everything is good to go. And just like I said, trying to get all the eyes dotted and the T's crossed. Yeah. Before we leave, so a lot of, a lot of work to do and packing, and, and like you and said, as soon as you leave, Washington's going to be busy, busy, busy. That's right. That's right. So we thought it would be a great idea to bring in. He's a returning guest. A returning guest, Dane Hanson. Dane, how you doing today? Hey guys, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun to visit hey, with you guys and chat. Dane, I don't have my notes in front of me. What's your official title there with IATMO? So I am Executive Vice President of Government Affairs over here yeah. in IATMO in Washington, D.C., overseeing kind of our global policy efforts. And I always call you the hardest working man or person in D.C. I, I have to tell you, um, you send out an update every week and it's just fantastic. It's very informative. It's stuff from the Hill. It's stuff about our industry. It's stuff about all, all encompassing things from the Hill. So it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. It's been, it's, and it's actually gotten quite, quite a, quite a big following, but it's, yeah, I'm glad you enjoy it. It's fun to uh, any, any of your readers, if they want to be joined, listen, uh, join the list, let me know. Um, we try but to I gotta, keep it nonpartisan Dana, too. I got to tell you, I, I get a, an email newsletter from ASA now, and it's formatted the exact same way that you do it. So I'm wondering if they saw what you've done and they've kind of copycatted it or. Yeah. I have not seen that one yet. So I'll have to, I'll, see I'll have they, to email see it to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll have to see what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. So absolutely. yeah, you're an innovator. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm glad to, you know, the, the best time of best form of flattery is, uh, imitation. 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 So, so last time we had you on, we had a lot of great feedback. Uh, somebody had told me that uh, the way you explain things and just uh, kind of break it down that, what is it, the layperson can understand stuff, politics and things on Capitol Hill, you make it easy to understand. So 
Uh, we decided to have you back to talk about, you know, what's going on in the Hill, the infrastructure, in, infrastructure package, other projects going on that you're a, a part of and aware of. Yeah. So we just thought we'd have you back and this could be a very short podcast, but it could be very, very uh, informative and lengthy. So we can talk in depth about that $1 trillion package, the $3.5 trillion package, and maybe even the debt ceiling. There's a lot going on in Washington next week. There is a lot. And it's actually, it's already started and it's going to go through the weekend. So it's going to be a, a very busy time for some of the biggest projects some of our country has seen in many, many years. So um, there's a lot happening for sure. So it's going to be good to chat with you guys about it. And how realistic is uh, any of that stuff getting <laughs> yeah, passed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, so to kind of break it down a little bit. So there are a few packages out there, like we talked about, you know, there's, and, and right now it's all being negotiated. So exactly what's going to be in every one is kind of unknown. But, you know, there's a lot of things that do have to pass, you know, budget reconciliation in order and is something that, you know, needs to pass. And then the unique thing with budget reconciliation, which is, what you're seeing happen right now, it's very controversial because, you know, budget reconciliation, the process for that is very different than like an infrastructure package because when, to get something through the Senate, you must have normally 60 votes. With budget reconciliation, you only need to have a simple majority. And so what, you know, both, both parties have been guilty of this over the years. Well, you know, the Republicans are mad with the Democrats for doing it right now, but the Republicans have done it historic, in history too. But, you know, they try to stick a lot of their pet projects into budget reconciliation, which is a process, you know, to determine what the budget's going to be and the, pro- and the priorities for the government. But then, you know, when because it has to pass and they need to move it forward, um, a lot of times a lot of these extra welfare projects and things that the Republicans may not be too supportive of right away get stuck in this. And they're saying, well, now we don't have the opportunity to really, you know, do the checks and balances that they want. So <clears throat> long story short, yeah, I mean... The budget reconciliation will likely happen. Um, you know, they have a much easier threshold to get past. Um, the, the the infrastructure package is a little bit different. You know, that does is is likely going to need a little bit higher voting and, and vote support. Um, but within that, you know, we already know there's going to be a lot of water provisions within that. I mean, we have, you know, drinking water SRF, um, clean water SRF, drinking water assistance for small and disadvantaged communities, which is something, you know, IATMO and IWISH, our foundation is very supportive of. And um, the one big one that everyone talks about lately is the whole lead in drinking water. Uh There's just a lot of, you know, provisions and projects in here that, you know, have been minimally funded or haven't been funded very well over the years. And so we're going to see something come through. You know, we've heard that the house is going to try to pass something next week. Um, so we are seeing it. And then the debt ceiling is a whole nother issue. Again, the debt ceiling issue is, uh, becomes a very, very politicized issue because, you know, if we can't hit the, if we don't, if we don't increase the debt ceiling or address it, then, you know, the defaults on some of the, the loans and other liabilities that we have as a country start to, you know, get hit. And that could affect our country's credibility and credit ratings. It could affect a lot of things. So, uh, we've, you know, we've faced the debt ceiling issue before many, many times, you know, it seems like every few years we had come across a debt ceiling crisis and we're kind of up there again. So um, it's, it's good, but that hopefully it'll, it'll get addressed, but we do know it's a, uh, it's going to be a quite a few, few busy and controversial and very partisan couple of weeks coming up here in DC. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, you, you talk about the infrastructure bill and most people think of it. Infrastructure is bridges, roads, pipes. How much of soft infrastructure is put in that bill? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's quite a bit. I mean, so you're, you're exactly right. Like the current infrastructure, one of the big infrastructure packages that was passed is something they call the hard infrastructure, you know, the public transit, the roads, the buildings. Mm -hmm. But then you also have a lot of other stuff that has been put in there that is more soft. And and there is, and that's where kind of the the, the rub has become, when, yeah. you know, where you, when you have, because some of the more staunch Republicans and even moderate Republicans, like the Mansions and the Romneys of the world, <clears throat> you know, they've been very supportive of trying to get you know, an infrastructure package passed. But when they start seeing things slide into the infrastructure package that are like, hey, that's not that's not really an infrastructure thing. That's a bill. That's a bridge. That's not a bridge or a road or a highway improvement or whatever it may be. Um, that's been a little bit more challenging. And that's where, you know, the controversy has come because, and again, I'm not playing, pointing fingers at one party or the other, but every party's done this when they've been in power. But you know, when they can see an opportunity of a big bill passing, they start to add on extra stuff and little things here and there and different programs that may not have been funded, they start tacking it on there. You know, the big the big thing that we're seeing is that, so you have the hardcore right, the really staunch guys who probably won't support it, but then you're also seeing this in, influx of, you know, the progressive crowds, you know, the more self-proclaimed socialists of the group who don't want to do certain, they, they won't support a package unless it is increasing a significant amount of welfare and support there. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting, but I think it's going to come down a little bit more if I, I mean, this is a glass ball here, but for the infrastructure package, I think it's going to be much more aligned with what we saw come out of the Senate. You know, when Biden first came out and was multiple trillions of dollars and 1.2 trillion, it kind of got smaller. And then the Senate finally came back and said, oh, you know, it's going to be anywhere between five and a 500 billion to a trillion, you know, and then they passed the 5.5 uh, trillion. That's probably more aligned with what the infrastructure package will look like. And so I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the next week. So maybe we can have a another follow-up podcast in about two or three months and we'll have a, you know, hopefully one of these things are done and we can actually start talking about the projects and, and how, and how some of your readers can benefit and listeners can benefit from it because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of projects in here that will help the trades. There's a lot of projects in here that are going to help the industry. And ultimately what gets in there, we don't know yet, but we do know when it does happen, there's going to be, it's going to be a mad dash because there's going to be a lot of people trying to get, apply for these funds and get them to work on projects. So how to point people to the resources they need to be able to get in line for these. So it's, it's I think ultimately it'll be a good, a good, a good problem for our country to have because they're going to have a lot of money coming down to, to improve some things that are needed. Assuming this $1 trillion package that was voted on in the Senate and passed overwhelmingly bipartisan, uh, you know, how long is that line once those funds become available? What are we looking, 2022? Yeah, so, I mean, they, they could be over multiple years. I mean, there, there's stuff in there as an example. I mean, just talking about the drinking water assistance for small and disadvantaged community program. I mean, that goes out. I mean, that basically starts first, you know, fiscal year of, of 2022. And the fiscal years for the federal government, to keep in mind, have already started. Yeah. The fiscal okay. government, I mean, they start in about a week. The fiscal government for the government start for federal government starts October 1st. Like for this project specifically, I mean, you're talking about over $70 million starting October 1st would be available. So if it passes later, then, you know, it'd just be retroactive and start up immediately. So you'd have this pot of money starting the moment it's passed, you get it. And then it goes all the way in to about 2025. And most of the projects in this, in these bills go out for till 2025. So you're talking about multiple years with significant funds and they increase in Almost without fail, when you look at these projects, I mean, whether it be the clean water SRF or whatever it is, they almost ratchet up every year. So like 
you know, the one I was just talking about for disadvantaged communities starts at 70 million, then it goes up to 80 million, then 100 million, then in 2025, 120, and then actually finishes off and caps out in 2026 at 140. And almost without fail, especially with the water programs, that's the way it is. You know, they've been ratcheted up every year. Well, those kind of, that those kind of financial resources are critical to nonprofit organizations around the country that are involved. I mean, you're involved with Dig Deep, which is a, a national organization. How will this financial pot of money help an organization like Dig Deep? So yes, so it's it's interesting with Dig Deep. So I do sit on the board of directors for Dig Deep, and we have a very good partnership with Dig Deep. You know, they are a, a great uh, domestic wash organization. And, you know, we've worked with them from our foundation, IWISH, the International Water Sanitation and Hygiene Foundation, which is IATMO's um, philanthropic arm that works on, pro- you know, WASH projects domestically, but also internationally. Um, and so, <clears throat> historically, a lot of these projects, a lot of this funding will go to some of the beneficiaries of these communities. So, you know, some of the areas where IWISH and Dig Deep have done work, you know, whether it be in the Navajo Nation, you know, the tribal lands funds, or whether it be in um, some of the poorer parts of Texas or Colonias or even Central Valley, California, a lot of these funds go directly to the communities who need them. And so if you want to be able to try to help them, then you can help them apply for the funds as the organization and help them. And then we, you know, you can bring in the expertise to help install the systems, install the septic systems, install the pumps. And so ultimately a lot of these projects will get channeled through, whether it be the state government, the local government, and they'll be applying for them. But ultimately, the 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 charities unless they apply for a grant on their own like with i wish unless we specifically go and say hey you know what we can apply for a specific project you know i wish and and i can speak for them specifically because you know they're part of iatmo and but on, on with dig deep too you know a lot of the projects are you know are, are donated funds you know these are funds from or corporations and 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 interest groups and think think tanks and and major manufacturers and distributors of products and so the the projects to date largely have been able to be funded by you know private sector dollars which has been very beneficial because you're seeing you know it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive but we're what we're seeing is that during the covid era you know businesses have done pretty well you know a lot of businesses still flourish pretty decently i mean there's some that you know in the trades that have struggled you know especially during the peak of covid but when you look at some of the big manufacturers you know they just they're, they're building so quickly they can't keep materials on the shelves they're gone quickly and then the supply chains are slowing things down they just can't turn things out fast enough so there's this pent up demand so what we've actually seen is a lot in the charitable world you're seeing you you've seen an increase in charitable giving you know organizations have actually opened their pockets more like when you look at some of the statistical data you know these philanthropic groups you know they feel that there is a need for people because there are some people you know who are struggling have have lost jobs, but some of the businesses who've made been making a lot of money, you've seen increased charitable giving dollars to those organizations who are helping those. So, you know, when you see I wish dig deep and there's thousands of others that focus on philanthropic efforts, a lot of times you're seeing a little bit of an uptick in charitable giving because the private sector has been a little, you know, quite quite generous. We're gonna, you know, you're seeing this increased effort, renewed effort from you know private sector to really support the most disadvantaged populations of our country and our world. And on top of that, you're going to see billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars come down the pipeline for infrastructure or other projects as well under budget reconciliation. And so you're going to see a massive amount of public and private partnership dollars potentially going to these communities. And I think 
you know, the best thing I would say is, you know, anyone who wants to start working in these communities and helping these people, the best thing to start doing is start figuring out what, you know, conceptually could be done because the money is going to be available. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be buying for that, you know, a lot of different, you know, cities in the States and a lot of different people are going to start applying for it. So to start figuring out, you know, what, what projects can be done, which projects are, are you competent in performing and then working with those to apply for those funds? Because I think you you nailed it on the head that we're at a kind of an unprecedented time. You know, we're still in the midst of a, a pandemic and we are seeing there's going to be, ultimately we know there's something going to pass. It's just a matter of how much it'll be. So even, even without that, but just based upon the need, there's already been so many great philanthropic and charitable works from the industry. And the industry has really rallied around, you know, especially those disadvantaged communities um, throughout, from around the world. So it's uh, it's been neat to see, you know, the generosity, you know, it's kind of like even when there's a lot, of, when you turn on the news and you see negativity and terrible news and saddening, I mean, you pull back the layers a little bit and see how much good is going on. It really is heartwarming because yeah. there is a lot. There is a lot. And I can tell you firsthand from I wish and Dig Deep and others experience that we are seeing people come out of the woodwork who want to participate in projects. Even with COVID, they want to be like, hey, put me in, coach. I want to go and do it. They want to go and help and they want to see what they can do to help. It's neat. And that's actually going to be expanding even more. So what I, I was saying uh, next week, I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at the schedule here and it's IATMO's 92nd, I, I, 92nd Education and Business Conference. Is, is that something you'll be attending? Or is yes. that is that virtual or is that both? So that's a virtual conference. Um, you know, with the with the the issues with the Delta variant and in variants, you know, it was it was decided you know several months ago, just in the best interest of everybody to to do virtual. So yeah, it's going to be a virtual conference. It's really exciting. Um, you know, there there's a lot of events throughout the week, whether it be for you know our members to launch launch the pro basically launch and talk about what we've done over the past year, and then even talk about what we're doing in the future. And then there's a lot of, you know, educational events for people earning their CEUs and then talking about some of our chapters and individual member outreach. And then I will be participating on a presentation as well. And we'll be talking about, you know, some of our outreach on charity, you know, I wish is charity. So we'll be giving Mm -hmm. a a presentation on Thursday because the conference starts on Monday and we'll be giving it on Thursday on the I wish part where we're going to be talking about some of the work we have been doing so far this year. And what we're kind of looking at going down the um, in the future. So, yeah, it's going to be a good event, and hopefully, you know, I think everyone knows the need and the reason for virtual events. But I think everyone's also looking forward to getting back in person. Hopefully, COVID willing next year. And the mix and mingle poker night. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the fun nights out and be able to and go and enjoy a city and see see people outside of the outside of the confines of a conference room so <laughs> mm-hmm. Dan I've been curious you know you're in Washington how does politics in Washington play into your job you know honestly it it doesn't impact us too dramatically um you know we've worked very very hard you know from the public policy perspective of IATMO and also from our charity you know there's a very fine line between public policy and public relations and our, and, and mm-hmm. you know, the charitable outreach. I mean, they're all very, very aligned, you know, um, those decisions that are being made from the philanthropic angle are all being done, you know, at USA or at department of commerce or other areas. And so we've worked very, very hard, you know, over the years to make sure that we are not coming out as a partisan organization or a partisan industry. We don't want to come out 
and really position ourselves um, too far to the right or too far to the left in any way. Because it's not really, you know, when you break everything down and you break out the politics of anything, you know, fundamentally, from our perspective, you know, we work within the building trades and the built environment and we focus largely on water. And when you get, when you break that away, that's not a partisan issue, you know, making sure your water is safe, making sure your water is, you know, reliable, making sure you can actually have the decency of having, you know, proper sanitation and hygiene across the country. Those are not partisan issues, but when you turn it loose, if you don't, if you don't handle it carefully, then it quickly can become partisan. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, we've really done a really tight job. I mean, and that's not to say we're not tone deaf with that. Like we know when you're talking to, you know, a Democrat majority, then you're going to be talking about the humanitarian side of things. You're going to be talking about the need of these things. You're going to be talking about, you know what, there's over 2 million people in the United States without water and hygiene that's currently. And then, you know, you, so the way you, you know, you spin it or the way you message it will be different because then when, you know, when you're talking to Republicans, it's going to be like, you know, this is good for, you know, state rights. States need to be able to have the money to empower, you know, local governments to be able to provide this or, this is going to help drive manufacturing and business and give jobs to those people. And those. so, you know, we can, it's just how we message it and the talking points that we use. So we are, you know, we know our audience, but um, we've done very well. It's funny because when you mentioned, I'm just thinking back, you know, I've worked at IABO under Obama. I've worked there under Trump and then now here. And when you look at the, the, the various swings and people, you know, you have Obama and then you have Trump and you, we've been very, very successful from our policy priorities with every single administration and every single, um, and it, and it doesn't really matter, you know, who's involved because we have to make sure that the construction industry, the trades, the workforce development are all front and center, regardless of who's in office. And so, you know, it's been fortunate because we do work on such a puppies and babies, like you work on something that people (laughs) cannot want, not like. So it does get a little frustrating at times when you do see there is a need, you know, for certain projects or certain programs and then those projects get mixed into some larger political argument like we're seeing with some of the infrastructure stuff. Like yeah. there's legitimately that there's 80% of that everybody in DC agrees to, but it's that 20% that people are playing politics with that slows it all down. So that's where it gets a little frustrating at times. Yeah, uh, that's kind of where I was going with that. Your your vision and mission and goals are remain the same. Tactics and messaging change from year to year, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on with that. It's almost fun to be stuck in the middle. It's, a, it's the best way to survive. So, Dan, going back to the infrastructure package, uh, when we had you on uh, the first time, you had mentioned maybe around the 4th of July, you could see things moving forward. Big stuff happening this week. What are your spidey senses telling you? Is this going to get done? I think it will. You know, there is uh, kind of referencing, you know, the 80-20 rule. You know, a lot of that is supported across the board. I mean, it truly, truly is supported. And I don't think we're going to have any issues with a lot of it. It's just the the political pandering from the extremes that are th- throwing off that 20%, which are causing the problems. And, you know, both both sides are guilty of it. You know, we're seeing it happen. But fundamentally, you know, I think, you know, that, you know, that 500 to 600 billion that, you know, the Senate and the, you know, moderate Democrats and the moderate Republicans came up with, you know, if you just put that up there now, it could probably pass. But, you know, it's just we're seeing. So long story short, yes, I think we will see. That'll be very telling in the next week or two to see what ultimately survives and what makes it in there. But yeah, I do. I do think something will happen. And if it doesn't happen, I think it'll be 
you know, this is a big deal for even the White House too. You know, they've had a lot of crisis on their hands, whether it be with COVID, whether it be with natural disasters, with Afghanistan, with everything else. They need to have a victory. They need to have something out there. Um, this is a big deal. So, and there's a lot of programs riding on this. So, I think at this point, the White House is saying, we just want anything. Like, <laughs> we just need anything to pass. Like, even if it's not exactly what we want, we just need something to pass because we need something to talk about. So, I mean, you have a lot of people who are vested into this. And, you know, and then you raised a, a great point earlier about the election next year. You know, that's a big election. And, and the way it's looking right now, all the polls, all the polls that I've seen recently and the cross tabulations of those polls across the country, it's looking pretty bleak for the Democrats. Like, you know, you're seeing a lot of these and, you know, if the elections were held tomorrow, you'd probably see a pretty significant Republican majority in the House. And so you're going to need these type of things to go back for the base and the Republican, I mean, the Democrats to be able to even save face next year to say, look, we've actually been accomplishing quite a bit. I think a lot of people politically realize this needs to go. This needs to happen. I think at the end of the day, they're going to, they're going to pontificate and they're going to position themselves everywhere about what they want. But I think hopefully the, the cooler minds prevail and they get something done because I think it'll benefit everybody. Yeah. Because if it doesn't get done and it rolls into 2022 and the house does change, we have another two years of stall. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, absolutely. Just more deadlock. So, yep. yeah, that's exactly right. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I, my gut tells me, you know, I think the, the cooler minds, again, will prevail, and they'll ultimately get where it needs to go. Um, and you're going to have a lot of people on the right who are screaming, and you're going to have a lot on the left screaming that they didn't get what they wanted. I think at the end of the day, the moderates in the White House will be able to go and say, look, we've some of the biggest infrastructure boost we've seen in many, many years and now happened under this. So yeah, I think, I think it'll happen though. And so it'll be good. And, you know, in a couple of weeks to know what that will be, we'll have very specific ideas of what will, what it will look like and how it will benefit, not just the country, but also our industries, you know, our, our specific industries. Well, at the end of the day, it's a once in a generation opportunity for the American worker. And, Absolutely. You know, our hope is that both, as you said, core heads prevail. And- yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I, I always tell people, People oftentimes outside, you know, outsiders looking into DC often look at, you know, just how dysfunctional it is. But I kind of think that's how the government was almost meant to be created because you need to have strong checks and balances. You don't want to have any one side. I mean, you look at other countries where they have dictators come in and then entire civilizations change and entire markets change because some new view comes in with a dictatorship, you know, and they just get everything they want immediately and everything changes. They immediately pass whatever they want and but in our country, that would be, you know, if that happened, then your head would spin because one, four years, you'd have one way and then four years later, it'd be a different way. And it just, so the inherent inefficiency of our government is actually what keeps it somewhat stable. And so, you know, this is where following it on Twitter and news every night can be totally exhausting. So I think everyone needs to step back and look at this from the 30,000 foot level and say, this is the process that needs to work. They need to beat each other up and bat, you know, and then negotiate and then come out with something good that, you know, and I think it's just people don't like seeing the sausage being made, but they ultimately like to see the saw so- have the sausage when it's done. So, <laughs> right on. Well, uh, thanks for jumping on today uh, and giving us your perspective. Uh, we need to have you on in a couple months, and after the smoke clears through all this, we should you know reconvene and, and talk about it again for no, sure. Absolutely, Anytime. Enjoy, enjoy how much we ate the sausage and liked it. <laughs> Exactly now, and also how the how our industries are going to be benefiting from it. Yep, so. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's always good to chat with you guys, and yeah, stay safe and have a great time, John. All right. Well, thanks, Dane. Appreciate it. Have thanks, a good day. Dane. Hey, you too. Thanks, Mike.